Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Powered by Riverside. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris and Rye here yet again. Guys, we got some stuff to get into. Before we get into what we had our, on our agenda, there were some, uh, we made this agenda before this news broke. I do want to talk briefly about what's going on in FIBA basketball because it, effect, it directly affects uh, one particular Sixers player, Korkon Korkmaz. Korkmaz had been ejected from a game involving George, the country of Georgia. And on his way back to the locker room, three Georgianian uh, players, uh, jumped him and attacked him in the hallway going to lockers police were involved the turkish team president is not happy about this certainly we wish that there was no major in- injuries to Korkmaz, and we wish that um you know we, we we were keeping him in our thoughts so guys real quick before we get into our main stuff here what do you guys think about all this there's obviously a fine line that you don't want to cross in basketball between like physicality and toughness and just violence and abuse. And you don't want people jumping people in the locker room. That's just not something you want to see. Obviously, Furkan, for all his faults, is a guy that we've had a lot of fun covering over the years. And he, he means a lot to this team. And he's been around for a while. So he's someone that we, we've really built a relationship to. So... It sucks. You know, you don't want to see that kind of thing happen. Um, obviously, we don't know the full extent of what happened. I know Turkey has asked for, like, the locker room camera footage and stuff like yep. that. So this probably isn't the end of the story. But, you know, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, Furkan, like you said, is okay. It doesn't seem like there's anything that we need to worry about long term with him right now. But, yeah, it's unfortunate. Two things. I think if P.J. Tucker was his teammate out there, this would not be going down the way that it went down. And the Mm -hmm. second thing is I hope he carries that fire over into the season because if there's anything he needs, he needs some fire to get back into the good graces of the rotation. At the end of the day, Chris is right. There's no room for that type of behavior. And you can't go to the uncivilized aspect of of sports competition and hopefully an investigation will be done and they can you know bring some justice to whatever needs to be brought certainly this is this feels um, correct if i use this term improperly uriah correct me on this because i don't know if chris has ever heard this term this feels like bush league stuff right bush league it's it's like dirty play. It's another term for dirty play. Oh no, I've never. It must be a West Virginia thing. I don't know. No, 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 no. I've heard no, it. I, I've heard it. Um, okay. Is that, is that the correct term for it? Is that the correct? Yeah, term? I, I guess so. Okay. Um, there's really no reason to go mm-hmm. jumping people in the locker room. It's just not how you should handle yourself as a team, organization representing your country, whatever. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's not it's not great. And we we hope that this all gets resolved because if not, it sounds like Turkey's going to pull from FIBA competition, which is a shame because not only Korkmaz, but there's a lot of good young Turkish players, Seti Osman and uh, one of Chris's favorite, Alprin Şengün, who has a lot of potential. But the the main point of this is, you know, we we sometimes, you know, we don't always like how Korkmaz plays, and that you know we wish he could do more on the court. But he's been a solid fixture in this locker room since 2016. Besides Joel B, there's nobody that's been here longer. So he does have a certain place in the franchise, even though we talked about him getting traded last podcast and all that. He's still a part of this team, and this is not okay. And I hope that FIBA fixes this as soon as possible. Um. That being said, Chris, how about we just get, jump into the rest of what we're going to talk about tonight? Yeah, so let's talk about some broad NBA news that isn't directly Sixers related, but that is definitely going to put a certain team on Philly's radar. And that is what went down in Cleveland over the weekend, Lucas. Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cavaliers for Larry Markinen, a first-round pick from this year. Agbaji out of Kansas, Colin Sexton, and three first-round picks with two pick swaps. Quite the package that Cleveland sent out. They now have Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, one of the better young cores in the NBA, I would say. Mm-hmm. How does this trade impact Cleveland's status in the East? Okay, so I had some time to think about this. They're still not – even with Donovan Mitchell, they're still not better – than Milwaukee, us, Boston. And if Brooklyn can get their stuff together, Brooklyn. So that's four teams that I believe they're still not better in. So they're not in the elite contention, but I think they're in the next squad now. They're not going to be a playing team. They're going to be a five, six seed probably with either Miami, Atlanta. I think they're in that next tier. Um, Donovan Mitchell gives them another scoring option besides Darius Garland. We expect Evan Mobley to take a step forward in this second season. Jared Allen, one of the better defensive players. I actually just wrote about this today in terms of how it impacts the Sixers. The regular season, they might steal a couple wins. You know, it might make it harder for the Sixers to get easy, good seeding because they're probably going to win a lot of regular season games, health permitting, right? But in the playoffs, Chris, they can't stop the Sixers. This backcourt is tiny, tiny now with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Tyrese Maxey, James Harden are going to have their way with them on the perimeter. And while they still have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley protecting the inside, I, I did, some, did some stack uh, digging today. Sixers were 4-0 against Cavaliers this past season. On top of that... Joel Embiid averaged 35 points on 53% shooting in those games. So even though Evan uh, Allen is one of the better defensive players, he and we saw this back when he was in, in Brooklyn too, he can't do anything against Joel. And maybe Mobley can in the future, but right now he's still too lanky. He doesn't have the muscle mass to hold his own against Joel. So the Sixers in the playoff setting don't have to worry about this. In the regular season, it might affect their seeding some. But 
I think overall, this is a good move for Cleveland. I think this was the right move. I love the fact that they stole this from the Knicks because it's the Knicks. So I, I enjoy that. And I, I think this is a good fit. The only thing that Cleveland's missing now is a, a, a wing that can def- a bigger wing that can defend and hit threes because Isaac Okoro is not super big and he cannot hit threes. Yeah, um, I agree with most of what you said. I think Cleveland is still probably a tier below the upper level contenders in the East. But I, I mean, this is a team that last season, before injuries kind of had their way with that roster, was competing for like a four or five seed in the East. Yeah, this exactly. Is a team that was yeah. Already mm-hmm. knocking on the door, and Donovan is gonna, you know, kick it open. Like Donovan is a really, really good player. Mm-hmm. They are young. They aren't as battle-tested as some of those upper-level teams. They probably are a year or two away from really, truly entering the, the fray of contenders, so to speak. But they're getting dangerously close. They have, you know, three all-stars on the roster now, plus Evan Mobley, who I don't think is very far from being an all-star himself. They could have four all-stars in the next three years. Cleveland has a lot of talent on that roster. They're well coached. I I agree. Like there's some defensive concerns with Garland and Mitchell. That's a small backcourt. They aren't very good individual defenders. But Okoro, Mobley, Allen, that's they they can clean up some messes. So they they have the personnel to offset that to some degree. Allen and Mobley are both all defense caliber guys. So it's pretty well balanced. Like offensively, Garland and Mitchell are going to be really really good together. And mm-hmm. I I think there's a good chance Mobley joins that fray of really, really good offensive players sooner than later because he has a ton of natural talent and athleticism and skill. So I agree. Philly, I think, would still be comfortably above them as far as a playoff matchup goes. But I say comfortably. It's not like a team with that much firepower and depth and two really good defenders in the front court can't give Philly problems. Like, like they have the potential – to be a team who does challenge them. Like Toronto still took them to six games. You know, it wasn't the closest six games in the world, but Cleveland could very well be better than what Toronto was last season. So agreed. But like I said, I just don't think Allen can defend you well. So I'm not worried about that. Like I know a lot of people can't defend you well, but like Allen particularly just can't. Okay, guys. So let's talk now about, Utah, obviously, they are full-on rebuilding at this point. They've acquired several draft picks this summer from the Gobert and Mitchell trades, but there are still some veterans on the roster, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Boyan Bogdanovich, who all seem trade eligible at this point in the summer. It seems like all three of those guys could very well be on different teams before the season starts. Lucas, is there anyone in your mind that Philly should be looking into right now? Rudy Gay. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Not Rudy Gay, though he is available. Um, look, the Sixers roster is really uniquely set up. So Conley's pretty is on the downhill turn, but he can still be like a high end backup at this point. But we already have Melton, so I don't feel like we need him. Jordan Clark Clarkson is an older slash slash more inefficient defender version of Melton. And Bogdanovich is similar to Tobias Harris offensively. It's just defensively he doesn't – Tobias is better, which 
is strange to say, but it's true. So I wrote about this. If you wanted to, and the, the other thing, Chris, is the money. Like Conley makes around 21, 22 million. Bogdanovich makes about 19 and Clarkson is about 13. You could theoretically trade for Clarkson without having to give up like a major player. If you include like Melton and Korkmaz maybe, but I wouldn't do that trade. I feel like that, that takes the Sixers back defensively. And like I said, I don't believe Clarkson's that big of an upgrade over Melton offensively to make up for what he lacks defensively. So then you have Conley and Bogdanovich and really the only way you get him is if you trade Tobias. And I don't think that's an upgrade either. So I I say stay away unless you want to trade for Rudy Gay, but honestly, Rudy Gay, you need three and deep guys on the bench and Rudy Gay isn't really either one of those. So I just rather stick with uh, like Niang, honestly. So that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I don't think Conley just financially is in for these price range at this point. If he got bought out, obviously you would have interest in him just based on pedigree and talent. But I don't know if he wants to come be the backup behind James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, but that's not a lot of playing time. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton of interest in Jordan Clarkson, to be honest. He, I mean, Melton, I think it's just probably better at this point in their careers. Yeah, or it's quite possible that he'll get there soon. I, I prefer the defense that Milton brings over Clarkson's fairly inefficient brand of scoring. And Bogdanovich, I mean, there's a case to be made that he's a slight mild upgrade over Tobias, but it's pretty much a wash. And, you know, he is on an expiring contract. So maybe if you could flip Tobias for Bogdanovich. I would do you it. Only, no, no, because Tobias is a better defender, and it's only one extra year of Tobias. I, I don't, I don't see the pros there. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. Better defender is maybe stretching it. I, I, I think they're very similar players. Bogdanovich has been playing at probably a better brand of offense for longer than Tobias. Yeah, he's a better offensive player, but I think Tobias is a better, more well-rounded player. That's just me personally. I don't know. I mean, the thing with Tobias is that he's never been particularly good at doing some of the things that he tries to do. You know, he's, he's, I don't know if he's that well-rounded. He's not very I just, I just, I think he... Bogdanovich is a negative defender, like a severe negative defender. That, 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 and Tobias can hold his own defensively. And we saw that when he's dialed in, he, in the play, like in the playoffs last year, he was actually like a positive defender. So, yeah. Like I said, I, I yeah. think they're pretty even. So you could argue for it just on the basis of a contract and the fact that Philly has a guy like PJ Tucker, Daniel House now who can carry some weight defensively. But yeah, in all likelihood, that's just not going to happen. I don't also, think Utah the, has the, any interest yeah. in taking on Tobias's contract. So it's really a moot point. Also, they're hard cap, so they can't take any extra con- uh, money on. They would have to take less money on, and that that just con- complement complicates things. So yeah, so in all likelihood, Philly is just not going to be one of the teams dealing with Utah. I I will find it quite interesting to see who does deal with Utah. I think I think it's going to be the Lakers. Yeah, I think the Lakers are a pretty prime candidate to watch at this point. Um, depending on what they're willing to give up next to Westbrook. If they're giving up both of those first-round picks for 
Bogey and Conley, then I think Utah would be pretty wise to, to jump on that, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think Philly's going to be in the mix there. Yeah, uh, I, I think Lakers are one. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Portland sniffs around either. They could use a guy like Bogdanovich in the front court with uh, Jeremy Grant. I think that would be a nice little combo. Mike Conley, I don't know. The, the money's weird there. Maybe Miami if they want to try to get yeah. off Lowry, but I, I still think Lowry's a slightly better player at this point, even though they're both kind of on the decline. That's that's yeah. a tough one. I agree. I, I, I think Lakers are the most obvious candidate for mm-hmm. really Bogey and Conley because Westbrook makes a lot of money. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're going to talk about big threes in the NBA, top, ranking the top ones. I think recently on the internet somewhere, uh, the lead uh, website, they came out with like top six, no, top eight uh, big threes. So I'm just going to run through the list here. And then, Chris, you rank them for me, okay? So first one is Milwaukee's. You got Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton. Second one is Boston with uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Third is... The next one is Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, and Bam for the Heat. Phillies, of course, is James Harden, Joel, and Tyrese. Brooklyn's on there with Tyree, Katie, and Ben Simmons. The Cavs are now on there with Garland, Mitchell, and Allen. Atlanta's on there. I was kind of surprised about that. But Atlanta's on there with Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, and John Collins. And then last but not least is the Bulls. And this is where I don't agree with this, this graphic, but they had DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, both fine. And then they had Lonzo Ball over Nikola Vucevic. Lonzo Ball is not even going to, is not even projected to start the season. He's doubtful. And Vucevic has two all-star, you know, appearances at least. So I think they messed that up. So we're going to take out Ball. We're going to put in Vuce. Chris, rank them for me. All right, should we like start at eight and go down? Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's start at eight. Give, um, me, give me eight. I guess for me, number eight would be Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say number seven is probably Cleveland. Ooh. And number okay. six is Atlanta. Well, now, oh, okay. I have Cleveland and Atlanta switched. Why do you have Atlanta ahead of Cleveland? Um, I, I mean, I think it's probably as simple as Trey is the best player between those two groups. Gotcha. Probably okay. by, I, I think, a significant margin. Like, I think so, hold on, hold on, better hold on, than Donovan. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't mean, know if it. I agree. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. Trey's, like, knocking on the door of the top ten, and I, I don't think Donovan's quite there yet. Um, I, I mean, I do think Allen and Garland are better than Collins and Murray. So you, you can make an argument based on how you want to evaluate it. But I think okay. Trey is the best player there. And I, just, I mean, John, yeah. John is pretty much a perfect fit for Trey offensively. And DeJounte's defense is really going to help that team. So mm-hmm. I, I have the Hawks at six. Okay. 
but there's an argument for Cleveland to be sure. Um, five is Miami. Yeah, that I'd makes probably sense. put Kyle Lowry over Tyler Hero at this point. But, I don't know about that, but okay. Um, I have Boston four. Seems right. Philly three. Interesting. Brooklyn two. Milwaukee one. Okay. So out. So I would switch Cleveland and Atlanta in your one. I would switch them. And then the top three is where I think we're going to have some debate here. So here's, here's my thing. If we, this is all subjective because this could change based off of what happens with, if Philly comes in fully healthy, Joel comes in healthy, Tyrese makes the next step. James Harden looks like pre-injury hamstring injury, James Harden. I think they're number one. I, I think they're number one. And then I would say Brooklyn's two, and then I have Milwaukee mm-hmm. three. Yeah, I mean, if James Harden is MVP level James Harden, who at some point was maybe the best player in the league, then I could see it. But um, I'm pretty, you know, I, I I'm pretty convinced personally that Milwaukee should be number one on this list. Okay, okay, but like um, Brooklyn or you- Philly, I'm more content to like waver on really frankly depends on your opinion of Ben versus Tyrese and what you expect out of Ben that's that's a good point yeah kind of what it comes down to I I think Ben if he's if he's Ben of old is still probably the better player there yeah yeah fair um and and James and Kyrie is a tough one too because if James is playing at a reasonably high level I think he's better than Kyrie but if it's the James from last year, Kyrie has it. No, yeah. I got it. And, and Durant and Joel, do you Kinda think Durant's like meaningfully better? Do you think Joel is better at this point? I, I, I think it's a wash between those if two. If it's a honestly. wash, like those two are really close. So I yeah. think it could go either way with Brooklyn and Philly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, for me, for me, okay, look. I have Philly number one because I, I'm just looking at the best case scenario for all, all these groups, right? Yeah. Best case scenario, Tyrese is like knocking on all star, you know, level form. James Harden's looking like he did in Brooklyn prior to the hamstring. Joel has another MVP level season. Kyrie looks like him. Kyrie and KD are themselves, but they're healthy. Ben Simmons, let's just say pre yips before the playoffs with us, right? That's still an all NBA player, an all defensive player. Yeah. So, so like you could, I honestly, you could switch back and forth between Brooklyn and Philly. It's just, I think you overvalued Drew Holiday and and Chris Middleton a little bit. They're borderline all stars. They're not consistently all stars. They they well, Chris has been an all star pretty consistently. He wasn't last year. It was Drew. Yeah. Which is so that yeah up for debate, but. And then Giannis, yeah, I'll, I'll give you Giannis Look, is the best player in the NBA. I'm Giannis not the guy. Yeah, I'm again like Giannis is the best player in the NBA, and that's really my main motivating factor there. But like, obviously, at the end of last season, I think you could argue that both Chris and Drew were better than what we saw out of James, and maybe not know. everyone would agree with me on that. I, I don't, but that's just me. I think Chris Middleton is better than. Shannon Brown, better than Ben Simmons, better than Kyrie Irving, probably. Ooh, and I ooh think Chris, Drew you're going to get some hate. Not that you're going to get some. 
you are getting you are gonna get some hate for that. Wow. Better than Jalen Brown? Yeah, I, I mean I just think Chris no. is a very undervalued player. He is undervalued. Undervalued doesn't mean that he's better. better. Yeah, no, he's undervalued. He's undervalued in the sense that he's, he's one better of the he, he, guys who get more credit than him. No, no, Chris, Chris, look. Chris Middleton is one of the most clutch players in the NBA. Nobody's denying that. He's a borderline all-star. Like he's like he'll make the team most years, but like if you have like if you're if you have like a deep like if all your all-stars are healthy, he might not make it. Okay? Like if all your all-stars are healthy and their teams are doing well, like the elite players, then he's probably not going to make it. All right. Well, that's probably that's- more a function of how people view him than how he actually performs. Like, clearly, I disagree with that. Like, I, I just, I don't view him as this fringe all-star guy, and you do. So we just have different opinions of who Chris I, Middleton I, and Drew I, Holiday are. And that's okay. Like, I mean, Drew Holiday should have more than one all-star appearance on his resume. I mean, agreed, but he was stuck in New Orleans for like eight years in a loaded Western Conference on a crappy team. Yeah, and by the way, Chris did make the All-Star team last year, just to be clear. He, he was an All-Star last year. He was? Yeah. Hang on, let me... So, I'm curious. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, he was. He was. No, no, I, it's not that I don't believe you. I'm just curious how many All-Star teams he's actually made. He's made three in the last four years. Who's okay. better defensively, Chris? Okay, yeah. Between who? Between Middleton and Jalen Brown. I, I think it's probably a wash. All right. Yeah, who, yeah. Who has, I think Middleton's a better offensive player than Jalen Brown. He, he might be a better shooter, but he's not as diverse with his skill he has, set. He has more assists. He's averaged like two, three more assists per game. I think he's just okay. a better ISO scorer than Jalen. Like, I, I think oh, that, I know that's where I draw the line, Chris. Absolutely not. Jalen Brown is one of the better ISO scorers in the league. Chris Middleton gets majority of his shots based off of assists. Now, I don't have the exact numbers here, but that's I that's not true though. How, how Middleton often, is like one of the ISO mid range guys. Okay, okay. That's like his bread how, and butter. No, no, no. He gets he gets a lot of spot up shots, dude. Like he that's does because he plays with Giannis. But like, look, the I don't of mid range yeah, ISO guys who are what, better what than I, Chris is very very limited. Like, look, it's not a long list. Okay, look. When you watch the Bucks, do you do you? I don't see Chris Middleton taking a lot of like starting up at the top of the key, dribbling up and taking a contested two pointer at the foul line. I don't know about you guys, but I don't see that. And I know Chris is looking it up now because I'm, I'm sure. I'd say a lot of his success is because of Giannis, and even when Drew Holiday got there, it just made his life even easier. Where, like, imagine if he had to be the number one on a team. He, oh, he, he would not be. He couldn't do it. No, no, but Jalen Brown could. I, I quite literally Jalen Brown Chris could. would be a better number one than Jalen Brown. No like, I don't think Brown could be the number one player on a contender. Oh. I, I don't think Chris could be the number one player on a real contender either. But, again, he averages more assists. Like, he's better with the ball in his hands than Jalen is. That's just. Well, that's just I a think function. The okay, that out. But, okay, okay, but the difference is. Jalen's like 25 and Chris is like what 30 31 yeah, yeah he's, he's 31 older. he's more expected. yeah I'm not saying Jalen like, can't get better from here but I think yeah. right now Middleton's a slightly better player that's all I'm saying Jay oh I don't know man that's I'm not saying I, he's I'm, gonna stay that way forever but I mm, right that's, now, I, would that's put- I don't agree with that but I I don't want to be stuck on this all night 
Chris. Oh, it's me. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to talk about some memorable Sixers moments to kind of tie us over until the preseason starts up, Lucas. I'm going to hand the reins over a little bit to you and Uriah here at the start to talk about some pre-processed memories. Just because I am both young and I was unfortunately not a diehard Sixers fan in the pre-processed era. I just wasn't here yet. I apologize, everyone. Um, let's go with best dunk in from before the process started. Best dunk in Sixers history in your mind, in your memories. I'll go to Uriah first. What was it? I think the low-hanging fruit, if we go back decades, would be the Dr. J rocking the mm-hmm. baby. But yeah. I, like you, Chris, I was actually too young to witness that in person. At least I don't remember. I remember the highlights. I'm going to go closer to this era and, well, the Allen Iverson era. There was an alley-oop dunk that it was just a regular season game where Andre Iguodala had joined the Sixers. He might have been a rookie. They were playing in Indiana against the Pacers. Fast break. Allen Iverson gets the ball, and he goes up like he's going to shoot a layup, but instead he throws an alley-oop to Iguodala, and he gets it in the air with one hand and rocks the rim. It was so astounding and splendid of a dunk that the whole arena, you heard a gasp. So even the people who weren't even Sixers fans as Indiana Pacers fans, they were shocked that he even made that catch and threw it down. So that that's my most memorable dunk. I honestly thought you were going to do Dr. J or uh, Daryl Dawkins, to be honest. Uh, Daryl Dawkins? What am I, 75 years old? Oh my God. Hey, man. Hey, hey man. You gotta, <laughs> hey, hey, respect your elders. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm going to go with Iggy too, but a different one when Iggy was in the slam dunk contest because I think that proved that Iggy was one of the most special athletes of that era. And just, I don't know, that that stuck with me, for me personally. He was robbed, Lucas. He was. He, he was, was robbed. And listen, I don't know if you guys saw the YouTube clips of it, but uh, who's the little guard from New York? Little, little short May guard. Robinson. Yeah. Oh, he got so many tries and retries because he kept he got all these extra chances to hit this one dunk. He finally made it, but he should not have gotten the points, and he accumulated enough to beat out Iggy. But that dunk behind the rim, which mm-hmm. was an alley oop from Iverson, one mm-hmm. of the best dunks in in the history of the dunk contest. For sure. For sure. All right. Let's go with best game pre-process Uriah you first best game I have to go back to June 2001 I was just out of college I was in graduate school I was living in Hampton Virginia I was watching the game with uh, my, my boss at the time and it was astounding to see Allen Iverson take over that game game one where the Sixers were underdogs uh complete underdogs considering the Lakers. I don't even think they lost a game up to that point in those playoffs. You guys know the history. Allen Iverson had, I don't know, like 47, 48 points. He was unstoppable. Shaq couldn't stop him. Kobe could not stop him. It's the game where he stepped over Ty Lue uh, in the crucial moments of the game. Complete show-stopping moment for one of the, the great Sixers of all time, Allen Iverson. 
That's a really good one. I almost went with it, but I'm going to go something a little bit closer. It's during the Doug Collins era, which wasn't a, too much to celebrate, but, um, you know, it was when the Sixers beat the, the top-seeded Bulls in the playoffs. I forget which year it was. I think it was, was it 2010 or 11? I think it was 11. Yeah, I think it was 11. And that just getting, beating the Bulls, granted without Derrick Rose, was just, it was a special moment, I think. And and that that was the crown achieving a moment in that Doug Collins era. Is that when Iggy stood on the on the scores table and was pumping his fist? Was that the game? I, it it might have been. I don't know. I can't remember. We'll have to check it out later. Yeah, that was that was a good moment for Sixers fans because I don't think anybody expected us to beat Chicago that year. All right, Uriah, you first again. Best buzzer beater. Buzzer beater. Wow. Uh, I'm going to take you guys back to the '80s. I tried to stick yeah. to some current stuff with Iverson, but. When I was a kid, I remember the the final years of Dr. J. His afro was getting a little bit puffier, longer, and you can see the gray hairs coming in. And it was just almost time for him to go. But there was one game. It was a regular season game. Dr. J got the ball uh, in the backcourt, and there were like three seconds, and I think they were down by two. I think they were playing Denver. And three quarters of the length of the court on the opposite end, he takes one, two steps and launches this three pointer. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it's swished, but I was watching it on TV and, it, and he made that shot. <laughs> and it was the game winner. And they walked off and, and went on to the next game on their West Coast road trip. But that was a really memorable buzzer beater from Dr. J back in the day. That's a good one. I'll be honest, I don't remember a buzzer beater prior to the process. So I, I have nothing for this one. I'm sorry, guys. That's all good. What about, do you, did you ever see the highlight of Iverson when he hit a, a buzzer beater against, I think it was the Washington Wizards? Do you remember that? He scored a layup? No, no, no. I don't know. I, if I did, I would have used it. I just, I don't yeah. remember any. Like the crazy said, thing I, is... He Iverson, for as good as he was, did not have that many buzzer beaters. I think maybe two in his whole career, and that was one of the knocks that he had. But but yeah, Iverson, as great as he was, he never really had a chance to show how clutch he was in the finals. And then those Doug Collins, you know, post Iverson teams didn't really have a lot of close games either. So Iguodala had quite a few. Believe it or not, and and I'll I'll say this one: the Sixers were playing in L.A. Iguodala had the ball. He's dribbling down the clock. Sixers are down by one or two. He just raised up at the top of the key. Three-pointer, swished it. And you see him just jet off the court. Excitement just filling filling the, the entire Sixers side of the bench because everyone in L.A. was stunned who attended that game. But Iggy has had a, quite a few buzzer beaters. See, I only remember his buzzer beaters with the Warriors. I don't remember any with the uh... – Sixers, but I'll I certainly believe it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll Chris, send you the, the link. Okay, Chris, what's the last one? All right, most heartbreaking moment pre-process. Well, I'll take you back to the finals in two thousand one. Hmm. The Sixers, after they won Game One, LA tied it up. They came back to Philly. There was uh, it was a tight game in the fourth quarter. 
the Sixers had the ball and they they were able to secure a lead maybe by like I don't know. No, they I think they were down by two or three points, probably two points. And they just needed one stop. Big shot Bob, Robert Horry, gets gets the ball in the corner from three, pulls up and he, he swishes it. And that was a pivotal game because the Sixers ended up going down two one and the way that Kobe and Shaq were playing, there was no reasonable way that those guys could come back. Had he missed that and we go up two one, we got a series. But but that was very heartbreaking for me because I just you saw it go in his hands and you're like, This is going in <laughs> and sure enough, he hit the shot. For me it's a little it's not game related here, okay? Because I, I have, like, I kind of have two here. The first one is when the Sixers traded Iggy away. That was, that was a, that was a, I, I did not like that at all. To Denver, right? Or going yeah, to Denver. It was Denver. Right, right, right. Yeah. It was the part of the Andrew Bynum deal. I, I don't think a lot of people like that. And then the other one involves Evan Turner in two folds. So when the Sixers selected Evan Turner, it made a lot of sense. He had what twenty? Uh, he averaged like twenty six and five in college. Looked like a three level scorer. Doug Collins screwed the pooch on developing him in every major a- uh, you know aspect. And then when you saw that he wasn't turning out, but there were players like DeMarcus Cousins, Paul George, you know the list goes on and on on because it was a really good draft actually that did better than Evan Turner, Gordon Hayward. It's just, it felt like the Sixers whiffed on the second overall pick in the worst way possible, even though like they didn't, they weren't supposed to have that pick that that was the lottery gods being kind. And they whiffed on it. That those are the two heartbreaking moments that I have. All right. Great stuff. Let's move on now to post-process memories. These are memories I can, um, give myself as well but we'll go with you first Uriah still best dunk of the process slash post process era I would say the Joel Embiid dunk uh, the windmill in the Toronto series several years ago just because it was in game it was a playoff game the atmosphere was electric and his celebration afterwards was so fun to watch all the all of his teammates were celebrating. The arena exploded. That was a really really cool dunk. I I watch that sometimes when I'm bored, just because I miss Jimmy Butler. He was in that that play. That's a good one. I'm gonna go uh, another Joel dunk, and it was when he dunked on Jared Allen this last season. Just the meanness of it. It was a mean dunk. I like that mean dunk. He, he he. I think Allen fell to the floor on it too. And I was just like, yeah, be mean. I like it. That That's my favorite post-process dunk. Yeah. Speaking of Jared Allen, not being able to guard Joel, that was my pick as well. Um, ah. But the, the Raptors windmill is, is up there. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Uriah. Um, best game, best game memory. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, whoo. You're right. You go first. No, no, you go first because I'm still thinking. Uh, I, I'm still thinking. Chris, you go first. <laughs> I'm still thinking. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was the best game in, as far as like competition goes, but I, I still just go back to Joel's debut 
because I believe that was my first game, quote unquote, covering the team it was Joel's debut. So I kind of spent that summer working up to it, excitement wise. And really, my first experience with Philly was in a very serious way. It was Joel just coming in against OKC and doing all these crazy, unbelievable things and flying around the court at 7 2 and blocking shots and hitting those like turnaround jumpers from the elbow and hitting threes. And I was like, holy moly, this guy's awesome. And clearly the hype from that game has bared fruits and he's one of the best players in the world now. Um, but I'll, I'll go with Joel's debut against OKC many, many moons ago. It feels like, um, that'll be my pick. Okay. I got, I got mine now. It well, it involves a game with both Joel and James Harden, but when Harden was on the Houston Rockets. I don't know if you guys remember this. I remember I, this game. <laughs> and it was it was the Corey Brewer star moment. It was his five minutes of fame. Because Corey Brewer was on a 10-day contract. They didn't bring him back, which made me really mad. But Corey Brewer gave James Harden all sorts of fits. And mm-hmm. I was all about it in that game. I was like, yes. Yes. And I think the Sixers ended up winning that game. I mean, if I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I just, that part of that game really just stuck out to me. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Chris, I completely forgot about Joel Embiid's debut game. The first shot he ever scored in the NBA regular season was that like spin move back to the middle, Akeem Olajuwon mm-hmm. move that was fascinating to watch. I would say for me, it was a game that I attended in the playoffs last year. I believe it was, I think it was the Toronto game where the Sixers played at home. It was the game where Tyrese Maxey was unstoppable. Oh, where he, where he had like 30 some odd points? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I remember sitting there, Lucas, the entire building was chanting Maxey's name. Almost, it seemed like for an entire quarter because every time it he turned around. It was for a quarter. Yeah. That third quarter, he took over. Oh, That's it was crazy. a sight. To, you could, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. He, and everywhere on the court, no matter where he had the ball, he was pulling up for jump shots. He was hitting off-balance three-pointers. He was driving the lane, slicing and dicing and, and making everyone look foolish on the other team. So that game was the most exciting and, and most memorable for me. That's a good one. All right. Best buzzer beater. I think there's this... Like chance we all have the same answer for this? <laughs> Maybe. I'm I, I'm I'm gonna throw you guys for a loop. Okay. I I know which one you guys are gonna say. I'm not gonna say it, but I'm gonna say the T.J. McConnell game winner. Oh um, yeah, that is good. a good one. <laughs> yeah, I know that's technically during the process, but I'm still gonna take it. I'm taking it. No, that's a good one. Can you can you describe it for us, Lucas? For people oh, who gosh. forgot it. Come on. <sighs> Let me Go see. Down here. Memory I... I'm try- I, I definitely remember the post-shot reaction. I think he was – it was a mid-range jumper at the foul line. It was it was against – who was it against? Was it Mello. Who? Mello? Yeah. It was against the Knicks? Yep. Yep. In the garden. Yeah, it was in the no, garden. No, was it? No, right? it was in Philly. No, it, it was in Philly. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it was against the Knicks. DJ had the ball. He was running – He it was a dash up from – from the other side of the court, they had like less than five or ten seconds. TJ got to the foul line, pulled up, hit hit it like a dagger. It was 
so good. I just got that. That was probably that was that felt like a turning point there for the yeah. Brand. Nice spin move on the baseline. I think it was Ilyasova. It, he, I think he had it, and TJ was up the court. It's funny because I think Gerald Henderson was waiting for the ball, like he mm-hmm. wanted to take the last shot, but Ilyasova kind of like ignored him and saw TJ and was like, "Hey, why not? Let me throw it to this six-one guard." And and uh, he got it, turned around, and you know the rest. Mm-hmm. I would say, like you were saying, Lucas, it's easy to say, "Oh, the Toronto game-winning shot from Embiid." So I'm going to stay away from that because I think we would all agree that's the most memorable buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to Jimmy Butler. And he had not oh, one. Oh, he, he had a lot. Yeah, and lot. within the same month, or within, I think he got to Philly in he November. A, he had a couple of ones. It was like the same Charlotte. week, I feel like. Yeah, it was the yeah. same week. So he I hit think the, they were both against Charlotte, weren't they? No, one was against Charlotte, one was against Brooklyn. Yeah. But well, in both instances, clock running down, Jimmy's on the right side, dribbling the clock down, and and I think he could have driven to the lane and scored and, and won the game, but he pulled up for three both times. Yeah. And I like watching the reaction of teammates after guys hit buzzer beaters. Mm-hmm. So you you go back, you watch, you see Embiid get hype, you see J.J. Redick go all out, and, and Butler's just pumping his fists and he's flexing. It, it was just fun to see him come to this team and demonstrate how clutch and great he is. I got oh hold up Chris before you go I got another one here, Tobias Harris against the Lakers, got the mismatch against Alex Caruso pulled up at the elbow. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Okay, yeah. Chris, go ahead, go for the low hanging fruit. Yeah, here. I mean, like I'm gonna say the boring answer, and like it's <laughs> obviously the Toronto game winner in Game Three. And yeah. I mean, I think objectively speaking, you kind of have to go with that one. Yeah, I was gonna bring up Jimmy as like an honorable mention. So I'm glad you went there, Uriah. I, you know, my heart still belongs to Jimmy if we're being <laughs> honest. So does Joel's apparently. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I'll, I still love Jimmy, but I, I, I think the objective answer is game three against Toronto. Like as someone who's Sixers fandom has coincided Again, entirely with Joel Embiid's career, he's kind of my guy at this point. So it was a big moment for him, big moment for me, and that would be my pick. Um, another one where we might all deep down have the same answer in a Raptors-related game: most heartbreaking moment post-process. Ooh. Oh gosh, there's so many. Can I go You're first? Right. Yeah, go first. Listen, it's just like the. The Raptors shot with Embiid. Uh, we could easily go the Raptors uh, quadruple bounce from uh, Toronto, Kawhi Island. Leonard. Yeah, I, but I'm going to go to the um, Game 7 against Atlanta. I, I remember Ooh. watching that thinking, okay, Game 7, we're at home. We're going to take this, and we're going to go to the conference finals. And then you know what happened. Somebody completely unraveled and it was it was a travesty it was it was really the most embarrassing moment of me watching a sports event for my home team ever it it, to me it was worse than and I know there's a lot of Eagles fans who listen to us and they they rock with the birds they bleed green and that's great you know losing to Tampa Bay at home the last day in the vet 
and then Tampa goes on to the Super Bowl. That was gut-wrenching, but that that Atlanta meltdown, it, it was just, there was nothing you could do. You, you saw it happen in front of your eyes, and you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. The teammates, they were like, there's nothing we can do about it. And it was it was embarrassing. It was very regretful and forgettable. So I'll go with that most heartbreaking. Um, on the court, I think it's easy to go with the the triple quadruple balance of Kawhi Leonard, and that's my on the court one. But off the court one, I got two. Jimmy Butler leaving. Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick leaving. That was heartbreaking. And then Markel Fultz not working out. I think we all were rooting for Markel to get his shot back, and it just was not happening. And that was that that kind of deflated the fan base until the Jimmy Butler trade happened. So that's that that's where I think of, of Harvard. Yeah, I I think all of those are good answers. Again, objectively, it's kind of hard not to say the quadruple doink with Kawhi, Markel is a guy I'm still rooting for. Like of course. It, it was very tough to watch what he had to go through. Jimmy leaving for me was personally very tough, which also you can kind of connect back to that Toronto shot. Um, I mean, like for me personally, Al Horford not working out was a tough moment. As someone, I was more mad than heartbroken. I was about really that. banging the Al Horford drum before that. I know season. you were. I, I bought an Al Horford jersey and everything. Did you Didn't really? Well, um, did you really? I did. I still have it. Um, it's one of those like ugly seventy sixers ones where they wrote out seventy sixers. Chris, so, you gotta, you gotta take a picture. Not my of best it. investment. You gotta, um, you gotta take a picture of you wearing it, please, for the website's sake. Um, but honestly, us. I think I might be with Uriah on this one, just because. Look, I'm in a very unique situation where I live around Atlanta and my family members are Atlanta fans. So I spent all that, like, the lead up to the series and even during the series, basically, like, telling my brother how ridiculous it was that he thought Atlanta was going to win and how Philly is obviously the better team. Then they had to go out and make me look stupid, of course. Um, (laughs) They still were obviously the better team. But... um. Yeah, I mean, the Atlanta series made me feel a very special kind of bad, in part because I kind of like Atlanta. Like, I'm, just by proximity, I am I have some level of affection for Atlanta sports. So that wasn't my favorite time to be um, talking about the Sixers. So I, I might have to be, be, like, super honest with myself. Maybe it was Game 7 against Atlanta, the freaking Kevin Herter game, because... Like, with Kawhi, there's some level of, like, all right, you just kind of have to respect the series that that guy had, and Toronto yeah. is a very good team, and it's not like the they title. didn't deserve to, to do what they did. So, I, I think, honestly, Atlanta might be my pick, too, because that you know series what? just sucked. You know why that's not the most heartbreaking for me? After I've watched that replay a thousand and one times, it wasn't heartbreaking because... He never should have had the opportunity to get that shot off because he traveled on that play. Uh, I, I go to war uh, with uh, Toronto fans on Twitter whenever they try to rub it in our face three years later. And, uh, yeah, clearly he traveled. He took 
like five steps before he even put the ball down. But the refs were too chicken them to make that obvious apparent call. They're, they're not going to call that. Yeah, you look, that. honestly, I'm mm. pro not making that call. <laughs> yeah. If it was the opposite and Joel was the one making that shot after taking five steps, we would be so upset if they blew the whistle. Like, Yeah. You know. What's the point of having refs then? The right call is the right call it's in, the in last any moment. Game. It's hard. It's you don't call seconds. that. Yeah. That's like those shots you don't really call fouls unless it's super obvious. It's kind of the same deal. Yeah. Yeah. You let them play it out the last five seconds. And, you know, traveling might not be playing it out in the traditional sense, but it was. It was such an absurd shot that you kind of just have to mm-hmm. hand it to him. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I, I do, you guys talked about some, we talked about some former Sixers today. It made me uh, think of this question. Let me ask you guys this real quick. What former Sixer do you still currently root for on a regular basis? That's a good question. Like all of them except Ben Simmons, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Look, like, okay, so tell me your favorite. Tell tell me your favorite one. Then. Tell tell me Roko, the one. Your... Two thumbs up. Al Horford still have a soft spot for him. Um, mm. like I think Jimmy is the obvious one. Where like maybe there's a good chunk of the fan base that's not still rooting for Jimmy, and I'm still pulling pretty hard for Jimmy when he's not beating the Sixers in the second round. Um, and Markel, like I I want good things for Markel. I want him to be. In all do you think? Do you think he starts this year over Cole Anthony? Um, I I don't think he starts the season starting, but I think we could get to a point where he takes over. Um, I, I think he should. I think Cole Anthony should be the sixth man, and I think Markel should be starting. I I think team. on paper that makes a lot of sense. It really depends on how like Jalen Suggs comes along, and you got to make the spacing work with that team. Well, if Markel's the only non, because everybody else can shoot on that team. Yeah, I, I don't think Paolo's going to be taking a ton of threes, though, and you're going to kind of build the offense around him. So yeah, maybe true. that's why Cole hangs on to it for a while. But Well, he, here's an idea. Jalen Suggs and Gary Harris. What do you mean? A starting them, backcourt? Yeah, yeah, backcourt, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sure. Or, I, or I, if you I, want to get feisty, you can start um, Isaac at the three and then uh, Wagner at the two. Yeah, I, I'd rather start the young guys than Harris, just because you're not winning anything yet. So it's all mm-hmm. about building. Mm-hmm. But yeah. point being is that I'm still rooting for Markel. I think he could still be. So, so is it Jimmy or Markel for you? Who's the number one guy? Um, number one guy. I mean, it's very different. Like, my affection for them is very different kinds of affections because Jimmy's just like, I don't know how to describe it. Jimmy's very, like, corny, and I kind of appreciate how corny and how much of a tryhard he is. And with Markel, it's like, I felt really bad for the guy, and I want good things for him because he seems like a really stand-up person. So they're different kinds of affection. They're kind of 1A, 1B for me, I guess, in that sense, because I, I, they're hard to compare. But okay. I'd go with those two. What about and you? And still has a, a place in my heart. Love Robert yeah. Covington. I, I, I could care less about Robert Covington and his, <laughs> and, his, and his streaky shooting that 
it, I don't know. He's he's a good, great defender, but he just drove me nuts with his inconsistent shot. Markel Fultz, I have zero empathy, sympathy for that wow. guy. Wow, he was doing oh, one. Come on. He was Chris. He was doing one armed, uh, backflip. I don't know, like twist turns outside the outside of the practice facility when he's supposed to have a, a hurt shoulder, and he's doing over the shoulder three quarter three point over the shoulder shot. So. His nothing was wrong with his shoulder there. I think he just had the yips. What? I'm not going to revisit that. Jimmy, I, he used to be my. Uh, I used to root for him. He's still fun to watch, but this past playoffs ruined it for you, huh? Oh well, just talking all that crap against Tobias for for no reason at all. Okay, I mean, there was a like, reason. Uh, that that the, I don't the, know, man. That, that that was all strategic, trying to get Joel to come come to Philly. Uh, to, to it was my, funny. Uh, that's, that's, be honest. That, that, that's what he was trying to do. It's good trash talk. As as in Philly, if you came up here and you heard kids say, oh, he's drawing. Like, he's he just wants attention. And that's annoying in that situation. Yeah, again, he's super corny and over-the-top and ridiculous, which is part of why I love him. He's just... Uh, uh, okay. But he's my number one... trash talker. Well, and another thing, he, he went out and Mr. Original, Mr. Oh, I... I I guess walk to the drum of my own beat. Is that the beat of my own drum? Anyway, you know what own. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went out and he's trying to copy the hairstyle of John Morant and he looks ridiculous. He needs, someone needs to tell him that it's not a good look. Jimmy, cut your hair. But I, I do have one guy that's in my heart that I root for and that's Dario Saric. I love Dario okay. Saric. Okay. Okay. Solid one. What about you? All right. All right. So this is a tough one for me. It used to be Jeremy Grant. You are a great Jeremy. guy. You're a great guy. I, I like Grant. Yeah. Um, I guess right now it's Markel though, because I feel like another one. Ugh. It, it, great. Okay, it's like Markel and then Jeremy. It used to be Jeremy and then Markel. Actually, you know what? No, I take it back. I root for Jaleel Okafor. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> no, but I did. I was rooting for him when he was in the league. Like I felt bad that he he got a raw in the deal there, guys. Let's let's real he did he did granted he couldn't do anything defensively but like you know what he's making his money in china now so good for him but yeah i'm gonna say markel then jeremy i think and then tj is number three i, think I was waiting for three. someone to say tj i forgot T- about tj yeah tj's number three for me it used to be jj used to be there but jj's retired now so i root yeah. for him on espn yeah yeah all right chris go ahead and play us out yeah, Chris, uh, he stepped away, so I'll play us out. On behalf of the Sixer Sense, uh, Lucas, Chris, and myself, we appreciate everyone tuning in. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on Audible, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. And until next time, we'll get you with some Sixers content, and we hope that everybody has a good week. We'll talk to you next time. Powered by Riverside. <laughs>